Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to the New Books in Public Policy podcast, a part of the New Books Network. I'm Nick Sagos. The New Books Network is a series of podcasts dedicated to raising the level of public discourse by introducing serious authors to serious audiences. My guest today is Tom Sorrell, who is Professor of Politics and Philosophy and the head of the Interdisciplinary Ethics Research Group in Politics and International Studies at the University of Warwick. He is also an RCUK Global Uncertainties Leadership Fellow. Previously, he was John Ferguson Professor of Global Ethics and the Director of the Center for the Study of Global Ethics at the University of Birmingham. He was coordinator of the FP7 Detector Project and is leader of two work packages in the FP7 Survey Project. He has published extensively in moral and political philosophy including four books and many journal articles. His current research deals with the moral and political issues raised by emergencies, including terrorist emergencies. I'm happy to speak with him today. The book we are discussing is Emergencies in Politics, A Sober Hobbesian Approach. It is newly published by Cambridge University Press. Tom Sorrell argues that emergencies can justify types of action that would normally be regarded as wrong. Beginning with the ethics of emergencies facing individuals, he explores the range of effective and legitimate private emergency response and its relation to public institutions, such as national governments. He develops a theory of the response of governments to public emergencies, which indicates the possibility possibility of a democratic politics that is liberal but that takes seriously threats to life and limb from public disorder, crime, or terrorism. Informed by Hobbes, Schmidt, and Walzer, but substantially different from them, the book widens the justification for recourse to normally forbidden measures without resorting to illiberal politics. This book will interest students of politics, public policy, philosophy, international relations, and law. Hello, Professor Sorrell. Hello, hi. Can you begin by saying a few words about yourself? Where were you born? That kind of thing. Sure. Um, I was actually born in Mexico City, um, uh, and I lived there for four years. I then moved to uh, Vancouver and um, uh, grew up in Canada, um, ending up in Montreal. I I did my undergraduate work at McGill, and I did uh, all my graduate work uh, at Oxford. And I've... uh, I've lived in England ever since I finished uh, my my DPhil uh, from 1979, so I've been here a long, long time. Right. And throughout your academic trajectory, did you have a specific mentor or a a specific group of scholars that you worked closely with? Well, my uh, career has changed a bit since uh, since I started. My DPhil was uh, in epistemology. Uh, Before that, I worked on Wittgenstein. I didn't work on moral and political philosophy at all as a graduate student and more or less trained myself in it. I, I did work with tremendous people in Oxford. I was supervised by uh, P.F. Strawson, um, by uh, Simon Blackburn, by John McDowell, by Gareth Evans, uh, a lot of different people, and all of these uh, people have influenced me. Uh, I was, my, my last DPhil supervisor was uh, David Pears. 
So I've, I've worked with a lot of uh, different people. That's fantastic. So I guess we should just jump right into it. How did you come to write Emergencies in Politics? Well, um, it, it, grow up, it grows fairly naturally out of several things that I've done in the past. As I say in the book, it was one of the immediate inspirations for the issues discussed there uh, was a book I, I published in, in 2000 or so uh, called Moral Theory and Anomaly. And in that book, I was interested in cases where systematic moral theories seem not to apply to uh, certain problems. And uh, one of the areas that uh, seemed uh, to raise problems for systematic moral theory was emergency, because in the case of emergency, the usual set of prohibitions and prescriptions uh, tended to have exceptions. So emergency seemed to be a, a general area of difficulty for conventional morality and for theories that systematize uh, conventional morality. So that was one um, uh, source of, it, of uh, my interest in this subject. And then I've been working on Hobbes for a long, long time. I published a book on Hobbes in 1986, and I've been publishing on Hobbes ever since. Um, I've published many, many articles on Hobbes. Um, and so both of those books were sources for, for the work that I've done here. And, and I've also done some work on the histori historiography of um, philosophy, and uh, that also has an influence. Uh, the way I use Hobbes, the original Hobbes, and then revise that uh, original Hobbes, I have views about how you write the history of philosophy that make that legitimate. Did, did the events of 9-11 have anything to do with adding an impetus to the project, or were you already on the way to writing that kind of thing? No, I have to admit, 9-11 uh, uh, and the literature that, that was uh, inspired by 9-11 has structured quite a lot of the debate about the the way that liberalism uh, responds uh, to emergency. So I think 9-11 was an important inspiration. But I have to say, if I'm, if I'm talking uh, autobiographically, that, mm -hmm. that I was, um, I was uh, so to speak, uh, directly affected by the War Measures Act in Canada in 1971 to 72, when that act was declared in Canada. I'm, uh, you, you, you may not have been alive then, but um, I was uh, at that point a student journalist on the McGill Daily, and I remember that when the War Measures Act was declared, uh, there, was, uh, there was police at the Ontario-Quebec border, and uh, it was difficult to cross, and I had newspapers next to me that were saying that support was mounting for the FLQ, and the police took a very dim view of those newspapers. When I got to Ottawa, I was going to a newspaper conference, uh, that was the day that um, Pierre Laporte's body was found in the in the uh, uh, the trunk of a uh, car, and uh, mm -hmm. and I went to Parliament Hill that day and uh, uh, saw uh, many many famous uh, politicians, including Pierre Trudeau, in uh, in quite a lot of disarray. Uh, so I, I experienced emergency, um, so to speak, at first hand, or the reaction to emergency at first hand, though in a very uh, liberal jurisdiction. Right. Interesting. I, I hadn't seen the parallel in the book, but now that you mention it, it, it makes sense. All right. Well, I guess my next question would be, uh, for someone who hasn't read the book, what do you mean by emergency specifically? You know, how do you draw a distinction between a private emergency, a public emergency? Aren't all emergencies in some sense equal or, or isomorphic? 
Well, they, um, both private and public emergencies have something in common. Um, I, I guess that, that uh, what all emergencies have in common is that there is a, an imminent threat of either loss of life or serious injury, and uh, something has to be done quickly in order to avert or minimize it. That's, that's the sort of generic idea of emergency. But um, uh, the difference between private and public emergency, as I understand it, is to do with whether uh, the, the people confronting the, the emergency or whether the people responsible for the emergency are an individual or an institution. If it's an institution, and then we talk about different kinds of political institutions, um, and the emergency uh, involves threats to, of injury or loss of life to large numbers of people, then it becomes a public emergency. And if it's a, 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 another sort of emergency that faces just an individual, then it's a private emergency. Right. Okay. So what types of actions do emergencies authorize on, on your view that would traditionally be off limits in, in liberal societies? Well, um, I think that, that when one's talking about uh, permissions that are, are uh, given to people in emergencies in liberal societies, one's mainly talking about the way that governments are given permissions, um, and I can come to that. But the way that the book is, is um, uh, structured uh, what one's really talking about is is um, what permissions are given to all agents in emergencies, given the importance of life saving and minimizing serious injury in morality in general. So that the general line that's taken is that in emergencies, the overridingness of saving life and preventing, if one can prevent it, serious emergency, the overridingness of those things. Uh, suddenly becomes extremely salient, whereas in in normal life, where normal life is taken to be lived outside a danger zone and outside of immediate threats uh, to life, that's the way it works in the developed world, uh, the overridingness of, of saving life and of preventing injury tends not to be salient. It tends to be latent in, in people's experience. So what emergency does is to make salient, to press up to the surface the overridingness of saving life and of, of, of uh, uh, preventing serious injury. And what that overridingness uh, implies is that when saving life conflicts with observing other prescriptions or uh, observing other prohibitions, the necessity of saving life or of preventing serious injury wins. And um, it's in that sense that what's normally regarded as wrongdoing becomes permissible so long as it's done as a means to saving life or preventing a serious injury. Right. So I guess the next question is, is there a threshold on your view that separates legitimate from illegitimate institutional responses to emergency events? Is it, for example, a, a matter of establishing a harm threshold or, or is harm the wrong metaphor through which to understand your view? No, it, um, harm, I think, is... is uh, is certainly going to be um, the broad category of thing that one takes into account. But I think that there, there are two, again, there's a, a, a theory of, of emergency that is concerned with uh, political agents or institutional agents, um, and, and that's quite involved in the book. And then there's, there's uh, another uh, uh, theory about uh, the propriety of individual uh, emergency response. And, and I think that what's going on in, in, in uh, 
what connects up these these um, these two areas um, is that uh, I say that in order for um, you know for private emergency response, the uh, response to emergencies by individuals um, uh, to be tractable, um, uh, there starts to be a need for institutions that divide the labor of responding to institutions. So I want to say that um, in many different cases, individual responses to emergency can involve people in playing God, in, for example, rationing life-saving goods, and that in order for um, decisions that are made of that kind not to be arbitrary and for them not to proceed from individuals playing God, um, one needs to have emergency institutions. So the ethics of individual emergency response lead, um, so to speak, uh, to the discovery of the need for institutions which cater for emergency. And then as soon as one's got institutions that cater for emergency, the question arises which institutions those are and how they should be controlled. And that's where one gets into the the question of how liberalism and institutional emergency response connect up. Okay, all right. Uh, that clarifies matters. You also, you mix Hobbesian and, and Razian influences in your account. Can you outline what you take from Hobbes and, and what you take from Raz? Is it simply that Hobbes uh, takes the threat of emergencies more seriously than other liberals, or uh, do you find something particularly attractive in um, in Raz's view of practical reason, which you think connects well with, with Hobbesian concerns? Well, I... Um my inclination is just to say yes, um, uh, <laughs> yes to various of the things that that, that, that that you've suggested there. The way these two things go together is fairly complicated. The reason that Hobbes comes in um, is is to do with uh, with the idea in the book of a black hole, and a black hole is um, going to be a set of circumstances in which everything seems to be permitted to agents. So, you know, I give the example um, in, in, uh, in the first chapter of our being confronted, say, on Earth with the idea of a, with, with the prospect of colliding with a giant piece of, a piece of space debris, which then, uh, you know, devastates the Earth. And, and I guess that if people uh, were confronted with that kind of thing, they might say, oh, well, we're, we'll all be dead tomorrow, so all bets are off, you know, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll uh, gratify myself um, in any way that I like. Whether that would actually take place or not, we can set aside, but um, the, 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 the question of, uh, what, of the black hole is, is something that's important in my account of why emergencies uh, might be thought to be necessary to avoid it's not just the harm. It might also be that emergencies are particularly likely um, locations for the occurrence of a black hole. And the, the more widespread the emergency, the more unavoidable the emergency, the more overwhelming the emergency, as in the case of, being, of the Earth being struck by the space debris, the more people might, might, might uh, be thinking that uh, everything might be permitted. So that's the idea of the black hole, and of course there's a connection between this idea of the black hole and Hobbes, because Hobbes thought that, that the state of nature was a black hole, that, that without government, human beings uh, would basically behave as if there was a black hole, that, every, mm-hmm. that everything is permitted. So 
um, uh, the, the way that the argument runs at the beginning of the book is I say, why do emergencies need to be avoided? One answer is harm. The other is perhaps the possibility of a black hole. I tend to, to, to uh, be skeptical uh, of the suggestion that a black hole might be present wherever an emergency facing an individual is. But I think it's more plausible to say that there's a bigger probability of a black hole the more widespread and overwhelming the emergency. And that's what, what's my excuse for confronting the, you know, the general Hobbesian position that the state of nature is a black hole. And um, uh, what I basically say is that uh, that uh, uh, claim of Hobbes is exaggerated and that, um, that one doesn't need um, to uh, make Hobbes's assumptions that the state of nature is a black hole in order to reach his conclusion that security is an important responsibility of government. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a, a very involved argument as to why uh, what Hobbes claims is, is uh, uh, an exaggeration. But, you know, to cut to the, to the, um, uh, you know, to the positive position and the way that Hobbes and, and Raz are finally um, used to come up with, with a positive account, basically what I, what I say is, is the following that Hobbes was right uh, to say that security is a very fundamental uh, reason for our organizing ourselves into into states. And um, I also say that though Hobbes is wrong about uh, human nature putting us at odds with one another so that if the state doesn't exist, we're all at war, I say that he's correct to say that... um, a war is on the cards and that special difficulties are on the cards when people have fundamentalist attachments. So fundamentalist attachments are attachments to uh, goods that people have when they are willing to die um, if they don't have them or willing to die in the fight to keep them. Those fundamentalist attachments, which Hobbes thinks uh, many human beings have, naturally have, I deny that most human beings have, but I say those human beings, those may be a minority of human beings who do have fundamentalist attachments, they are a particularly important security threat. And so um, uh, I take from Hobbes uh, both the the uh, importance of taking measures against fundamentalists, and um, I also uh, take it to be important for uh, other reasons, um, as well as the threat of fundamentalists, uh, that security is a fundamental uh, responsibility of, of the state. Um, now, the reason that I, I resort to RAS is because I can't, from Hobbesian materials alone, come up with a plausible answer to the question of why we should form ourselves into a state. It's not plausible that security should be the entirely organizing uh, uh, value that uh, we're able to realize by forming ourselves into a state contrary to Hobbes, it's much more plausible that security constrains the fundamental value rather than being the fundamental value. And it's a more likely fundamental value than security is the value of being able to lead one's life autonomously. So uh, what I'm saying is basically just to summarize this this part of the book is that uh, Hobbes had this um, this interesting idea about um, uh, a black hole uh, connected with the state of nature. Uh, his reasons for for thinking that uh, rest on exaggeration, uh, but there's a kernel of truth in in those things. 
um, uh, when we take seriously the kernel of truth um, and and try to solve it with Hobbes's uh, resources, we still don't get uh, the kind of theory he claimed to be giving, which was a rationale for the state and uh, a rationale that also located the value of security. And it's because of the limitations of a even a neo-Hobbesian approach to that question that I resort to Raz. And basically what I take from Raz is, is, um, is this, that institutions are devices for bringing about states of affairs that individuals have reasons to pursue anyway, individually, but that uh, institutions coordinate um, activity and make it the case that these effects can be brought about more efficiently than if individuals uh, did things on their own. Um, I also say, as against Hobbes, um, that he himself, Hobbes himself, is committed to the idea that individuals are capable of a, a, a reasonable degree of detachment, even though uh, he often also says that they are incapable of a fair degree of detachment. So, um, uh, in order to clean up this mess, I uh, simply uh, show that he's committed to um, individuals having a, a great degree of attachment and being able to detach themselves from some of their passions. And um, uh, in order to come up with a, a theory that recognizes that fact, I need a theory that has a fairly robust understanding of practical reason. That's what I get from uh, Raz. I also get from Raz an organizing value of the state that's um, a bit more coherently an organizing value than security. But I also get from Raz a theory that gives a great deal of weight to security, much more weight than is uh, generally recognized by uh, students of, of RAS. By putting together RAS's emphasis on autonomy and RAS's uh, emphasis on practical reason and reason as reasons for institutions, I'm able to, to liberalize Hobbes, but in a way that's, that's not very, very liberalizing. It's a very modestly liberalized Hobbes. Um, and I have to subtract from, from uh, uh, Raz quite a lot of material that doesn't serve this purpose, and that is itself, as I try to show in the book, independently problematic. I hope that's an answer. Oh, yes, that's, that's excellent. Uh, it's very interesting how you, you manage to maintain the, the core insight from Hobbes and, and, and yet also keep him sort of liberal in a way that, that modern or contemporary liberals don't find objectionable. Um, I wanted next to to discuss something that you, you treat in Chapter 7, your dissatisfaction with thicker notions of security rather than the thinner notion that you, you advocate. Is it simply that thicker notions of security don't get the balance between threats that come from outside the state and threats that come from within the state itself? Or is there more to your, your dissatisfaction with uh, the thicker notion of security? Well, I, um, yes, um, I think there is a bit more uh, to it than that. Essentially, what I'm, I'm trying to argue that the, the a notion of security that's connected with uh, physical injury and threat to life uh, is... Uh, not just the core uh, concept of security, but really the much of the concept of security. And um, the approaches that I'm uh, trying to criticize are approaches that seem to me to uh, confuse uh, the concept of well-being uh, with security or that um, run together 
insecurity with disadvantage. So if one looks at, at approaches, and these are not always academic approaches, but, but uh, they do have um, a number of exponents in academia. If one looks at, at, at the uh, so-called the concept of human security, this is a, a concept that, that's been promoted by Amartya Sen, um, among other people, and, and also by human rights practitioners. Uh, there the idea is that unless one, one has, so to speak, um, most of the uh, human rights, the civil and political human rights, and, and, and some of the economic and social human rights satisfied uh, within a given jurisdiction, people are insecure, and that um, uh, the threshold for being secure uh, includes being educated, being literate, uh, um, having health care, um, and, and the whole uh, um, you know, range of, uh, of uh, uh, goods that are secured by human rights. And, and um, uh, my view is that uh, that is a, a fairly obvious inflation of um, the concept of security into the concept of having rights fulfilled, mm-hmm. I, and and I think that that you know that's I I, I simply uh, uh, try to 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 show that um, by uh, showing some of the implausibilities of of uh, that line of thought. For example, it's it's uh, it's certainly not a condition of security that one be literate. Um, one could have. Um, a very peaceful peasant illiterate societies uh, in which um, uh, people don't fear for their lives and and aren't even threatened with illness necessarily. That's con- entirely conceivable, but um, it, it's not conceivable that you could be secure with uh, threats to life or um, important threats of injury. And I think um, uh, that's the area of, of uh, conceptual uh, unpacking that uh, that I carry out there when I'm when I'm critical of thick uh, notions of security. Given that, are you are are you led to a status version of Hobbesianism that is antithetical to cosmopolitanism, or is it just that you think any viable uh, cosmopolitan alternative has to have a strong statist component? Well. I realize I'm jumping around yeah, a little bit, yeah. but I, I want to get to the key, sure, you know, sure. the key themes of the book. Sure. Uh, well, um, I think on the question of cosmopolitanism, um, there is a way of uh, running cosmopolitanism within a Hobbesian uh, framework. That's to say, threats to life and serious injury, uh, those kinds of things could generate interests and rights within the, you know, the sober Hobbesian framework that everyone had to recognize. So uh, uh, people's, uh, being, people being um, uh, threatened with, with death in the Philippines, um, um, for example, that generates uh, some sort of, 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 of claim on other people. Uh, their insecurity is objectively a bad thing, and everyone... Uh, regardless of their uh, national affiliations, has a reason for doing something about it. So uh, to that extent, the Hobbesian apparatus and cosmopolitanism march in step. But um, where cosmopolitanism and and Hobbes uh, uh, part company, I think, is um, that uh, to the extent that states have uh, obligations, governments have obligations uh, to 
intervene in humanitarian uh, uh, ways or, 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 or to provide aid. Um, it can't be at the cost of insecurity of members of that state. So, in other words, uh, there can be situations that are uh, consistent with sober Hobbesianism where uh, uh, aid needs to be given on on broadly cosmopolitan grounds this because humans are injured or humans are threatened with loss of life. And those situations can be consistent with sober Hobbesianism where to respond to those situations creates no security threat to a given state. Um, but where it does, all bets are off. And um, if there are sy- systematic reasons for thinking that uh, cosmopolitanism uh, in practice would always uh, generate insecurity, then there would be systematic reasons for opposing cosmopolitanism. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's an excellent overview of the book. By way of, of conclusion, I'd like to know what you're working on next after what must have been a very difficult and you know, uh, exhaustive process of writing this book. What are your new projects? What are you working on now? Well, um, um, because of uh, because I work with my group on a lot of funded research, I'm really working on a whole range of of, of projects which um, have their own, so to speak, publication agendas um, with them. And um, I'm probably um, not looking at a book project in the very near future. I'm I'm really just looking at at uh, smaller outputs on a whole range of questions. I'm still working in the in the broad area of uh, uh, counterterrorism and uh, uh, serious and organized crime, those kinds of things, which I think are are uh, connected with the themes of, of of the book. But I'm also working on a on a project connected with a financial crisis, um, a very different kind of, of of emergency, if it is an emergency. Um, um, and I'm working on on. Uh, other issues like uh, privacy and 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 surveillance, um, all which also come out of, of uh, the work that I've been doing on on uh, on terrorism. All right, all right. Well, that's that's great. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, the book once again is "Emergencies in Politics: A Sober Hobbesian Approach." The author is Tom Sorrell, and it is published by Cambridge University Press. Thank you very much, Professor Sorrell. Thank you.